Ephesians chapter 6, one of the benefits of preaching through a book in the Bible is that you, can, you get to address so many different subjects and it, you really, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't come across as you picking on any particular individual, any particular sin, or um, when you preach through a book, you cover whatever the book is covering. And so um, it's been good for me. This has been a rich study for me. I didn't intend at the beginning to preach all the way through the book of Ephesians. Um, when I do that, it's typically on a Wednesday night or something. Um, I don't typically do that on Sunday mornings, um, but it's been good for me. I've learned more from the book of Ephesians this time than I have in all the years of ministry that I've preached from it. I realized how little I had preached from those first three chapters um, in all the years that I've been pastoring. And, and that's so key to the last three chapters is understanding your identity in Christ because he started off chapter 4 um, because of who you are in Christ, this is the way that you ought to live your life, what worthy of the vocation um, that you're called to. And we, we, we covered a lot of different areas of how he told us to live our lives and walk in a worthy manner so that we honor the Christ who gave his life for us. And um, there's the, the, the whole list of walking together in, in, in unity and purpose and walking together in holiness, and love, and light, and wisdom. And then we've been covering this idea of submission for a couple of weeks. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And then he, he, he's talking about our relationships um, with each other outside of the context of the church gathering. And he jumped in there first and talked about that first institution of God, the marriage, and, um, and, and, and that husbands are to, are to be... Christ of the home. They are to be the model, the image of Christ in the home in the way that they, in the way that they love and honor and cherish their wife. And, um, and then the wife, the model that she's supposed to be in the home is the church at home in the way that she submits herself to her husband just as a church submits itself um, to Christ. And so she is the model of submission to the husband um, by the way that she subjects herself to him, helps him, respects him in the home. It's critical for kids to grow up in a home that models that kind of, that kind of um, relationship between a husband and wife. That is God's design for marriage. And, um, and he created marriage, and he knows how to make marriage work. And, and if, if the church has any responsibility in this world, it's to show the world what it's supposed to look like. And when we do, we give it a, we give it a picture of what the relationship with Christ and the church looks like. Looks like so. Let, let me just um, before we jump into the next part of this text, let me let me encourage you. If you, I know that the last couple of weeks has been all discombobulated with the spike in the viruses and all. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to those two messages, um, I, men, I don't want you to browbeat your wives into listening to that one, and I don't, women, I don't want you to browbeat your husbands into listening to the first one. But you all take the time to go back and listen to those sermons, listen to what the scripture says. And, and here's, here's what I, if, if Jesus Christ lives in each of you and you are submitting yourselves to him and to each other, you can have the marriage that you want and that he wants you to have. And you understand what I'm, did you hear what I said? If he lives in you and you are submitting yourself to him, what his word says, and submitting yourselves to one another as he has instructed us, then he will make a difference in your marriage. Now, that's a long, slow process many times. 
Um, you'll, you'll grow, you'll take three steps forward, and you'll take two steps back sometimes. But as long as you continue to submit yourself to, to Him and to each other and stay committed to Him and to each other, your marriage will be transformed. And I'm speaking to you as one who has seen it happen in my life, in my marriage. Mitch is going to talk to you from the same perspective um, that I talk to you when he does the marriage retreat. He and his wife have been, they've been through it too. Um, but, but they have focused their attention on applying God's word to their marriage and it has changed their relationship with each other. And I want to just tell you it's worth working for, it's worth fighting for. Um, when you fight for it, the church benefits. When you fight for it, the culture will benefit. And the first beneficiaries of a biblical a biblically solid marriage are the children that grow up inside of that home with that Christ church model being modeled by uh, a husband and a wife. And um, I, you heard me say this a bunch of times from this pulpit. I grew up in a fairy tale home. I grew up in one of them homes that, that looked like that my dad was the image of Christ in the home. My wife, my, my mom was the image of the church in the home. I saw her and the way that she... Um, related to him all those years. I saw him in the way that he related to her all those years. I had a beautiful picture painted for me of what, of what the love that Christ has for his church looks like, um, how the church is supposed to submit herself to that love. I had a beautiful picture of marriage presented for me, and I'm the beneficiary of that. I, I, me, my brother, and my sister grew up in that kind of environment. We had modeled for us. Um, what a good, healthy church looks like, what a good, healthy marriage looks like. So, um, speaking of children, that's the next person that Paul addresses in the list. And I know um, I'm, I'm not going to skip any of it. This is uh, I, somebody you just have to keep nudging your kids this morning to make them stay awake because this is for them primarily. Um, but Paul addresses the children in the home next. In, in chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So Paul is addressing the children in a Christian home. And, and, and the question is, what is the primary role of a Christian child in the home? What's the primary role of a Christian child in the home? Paul gives two things that children, that Christian children... And if you don't want to be called a child, Christian, young person in the home, um, if, if you have parents, your responsibility uh, is twofold towards them. And the first is that you obey them. You do what they tell you to do because of their God-ordained position over you. That's not negotiable. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, one of those things where you get, if you're a Christian child, your responsibility is to obey your parents in the Lord. Do what they tell you to do because God ordained their position over you as one of authority. The only exception to that, when he said in this, obey your parents in the Lord, the only exception to that, um, not obeying your parents, would be if they ask you to do something that was in direct contradiction to the Word of God Himself. That would be the only exception to not obeying your parents. Um, and, and that would be a very, 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 very rare exception. And I can't imagine parents um, asking their children to do things that would be um, directly against the will of God for their lives. So um, why should you obey your parents? He said because it's right. You ought to obey your parents because it's the right thing to do. And there are several benefits of obeying 
your parents. And first, it's because it is the proper order. God has ordained things to be done in a certain way. And when you don't do things in that way, it's chaotic and, uh, and, and, and disunified and uh, divisive. And so it is, it is the proper order for the husband to be, for the Christ to be over the home, um, for the husband to be under Christ, for the wife to be under the husband, and for the children to be under that umbrella of their parents. That is how God has ordained our society to work. It's what pleases God. It's what helps produce in us self-discipline, and it is what promotes harmony in the home. Now, I'll tell you that I was probably... Um, I'll testify that the, that the most unharmonious the home that I grew up in ever was was when I was living in willful rebellion against my mom and dad. Now, my brother and sister didn't do near the stuff I did. And I, t- I, I, told, I, I joked with mom and daddy. I said, I get credit for some of their good behavior because they saw me get my tail whips enough times they decided they would not take part in the things that I took part in. So I was a deterrent for them because they saw um, how I got wore out, how I um, got disciplined, how I um, was constantly at my mom and dad and they were at me. Um, my, my whole growing up years, um, the closest our house got to dysfunctional was because of my disobedience. My willful rebellion against my parents would sometimes set them at odds with each other because my dad was a disciplinarian and sometimes my mom thought he was going too far. I would have conversations with my mom and try to pit her against my dad with me. Um, and, and so the, the closest my home ever got to being dysfunctional was because I was a rebellious child. I, it, everything my dad told me to do, I despised. Every, everything he told me not to do, I went out and done it. Um, and and, and the, the home that I lived in was, was, was brought into a, a sense of chaos. It lacked harmony because of my willful rebellion against my parents. I made everybody's life miserable. I made my brother and sister's life miserable um, because I made my, my dad was so mad with me about uh, two-thirds of the time. Um, that he, he didn't want to talk to anybody else. Um, it was, I, I literally made my family's life miserable because of my rebellion against my parents. Um, nobody was pleased with it, especially God. And, and so let me just say it like this. Kids, you, I don't care what else You can't be pleasing to God if you're not living in obedience to your parents. Can we just say it that simply? You you cannot be pleasing God if you're not living in obedience to your parents. Uh, Whatever else that you might be doing right, um, it's it's being completely undermined by the testimony that you're living out um, in your own home. The second thing that he's called you to do is to honor your parents. Obey them and honor them. To honor means that you venerate them, that you show them respect for the role that they have, for the responsibility that they have in your life. And, I, you know, if you want to know why you're supposed to do that, um, because that's the, that's the secret to your success, first of all, 
If you don't learn to do that in the home, you're going to have a rough life ahead of you. Um, we've talked about this over and over, how that, that husband um, sets the standard of Christ in the home. The wife sets that model of submission in the home. We need to know what those things look like because God has ordained order and authority um, and it works when we do it God's way. And so when you, when you learn to honor your parents, when you respect them for the role and the responsibility that they have in your life, um, it helps you be successful down the road. If you don't learn that in the home, um, it's, it's very unlikely you're ever going to have any real success in life because respect for authority is woven into every aspect of a civilized society. Um, and I've said it over and over. If you don't, if you can't honor your parents in the home, you won't honor and respect your teachers in the school. If you don't honor and respect your teachers in the school, you won't honor and respect your employer um, when you get your first job. And you won't keep a job long if you don't learn to honor and respect respect your employer. And and if you and if you still don't learn the lesson, um, it'll follow you through life. And you could very well wind up in a prison system where most of those people have no respect for the law or the authority that has been set over them. That's why they're in that place in their life. In fact, I'll tell you, you could probably interview the people at the Ware County Jail, and a lot of them didn't learn to respect the mom and dad in the home, and it has followed them through their life to a place of incarceration. You need to learn to honor people that are over you for your own success. Here's some other reasons why you ought to do that. Um, because they deserve. The role that they have deserves um, for you to honor it. Who's, who's paying your way? I mean, who's feeding you? Who's putting clothes on your back and shoes on your feet and giving you a roof over your head? Um, you know, and I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, as a kid, I didn't think a whole lot about what my mom and dad did for me and what they sacrificed to give us um, what we needed. The role that they have in supplying your needs is worthy of honor. You ought to do it because God commands that you do it. Um, but he said that that's the fifth commandment. Um, the first one that deals with our relationships with each other is honor your father and your mother. That commandment has not been repealed. Um, that commandment um, is in the Old Testament. If you failed to heed that, it was, it was punishable by death. If, you, if, if a, a man had a rebellious son that would not heed his father's instructions and would not submit himself to his father's discipline, they could take that kid outside of the city and stone him to death. Why? Um, because it is detrimental to a culture to have kids that grow up and do not learn to respect the authority that has been placed over them. And then the third reason is because it is a command with a promise, longevity and prosperity. And, I, I, you know, you can tie that to what I've already said. You will not have success in life if you don't learn to honor and recognize the authority that's been set over you. So longevity and prosperity in life is tied to your learning to honor and obey your parents. They are, they are meeting your basic needs and a lot of your wants. And I believe God honors children who honor their parents. God honors children who honor their parents. Now, I'd like to stop right there. Um, but, I, but I can't end the message right there because that ain't where Paul ended this instruction. He didn't end it here in Ephesians chapter 6 and he didn't end it in Colossians chapter 3 when he was talking about the same thing. 
Um, right after he dealt with children and how they're to obey their parents and the Lord, in verse 4, he said, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Colossians 3, in verse 21, he repeated almost verbatim, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So, Paul gave this instruction to kids about how they're to, how they're to obey and honor their parents. But then he gave a warning to fathers and a command. And in, in both cases, in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, he did not address mothers. Now he said, children, obey your parents. That's both. But in these two verses that I just read, he addressed fathers. It's masculine. He ain't talking to nobody but the daddies. The warning is, Chris, Chris shared this in devotion this morning, the warning is don't provoke your children to wrath. Some Bible translations will use the term um, don't exasperate your children, don't, don't frustrate your children, don't, don't discourage your children, don't demoralize your children. And there's a lot of ways that you could do that. Chris had a good list this morning. I should get him to stand up and share his list. But if you lack self-control, um, you'll provoke your children to wrath. If you, if you are being too severe in your dealings with them, you can provoke your children to wrath. If you're ridiculing your child, you can provoke your children to wrath. If you're abusing the authority that God has given to you, you can provoke your child to wrath. If you're being impatient with your child, you can provoke them to wrath. If you fail to teach them, you can provoke your children to wrath. Daddies, and I preached a sermon a while back about a daddy wound related to this same passage of Scripture. There's something about the way that God created a daddy that you can put things in your child that nobody else can put in your child and you can take things away from your child that nobody else can take away from them. God has designed it that way. I can't tell you I fully understand it or comprehend it, but I think this, these passages of Scripture prove that, that dads have the ability to make it hard for their children to obey and honor their parents if they provoke them to wrath. The command, the warning is don't to prov not to provoke them, and the command that he gives is instead to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition. And listen, I, I believe this is, a, this is key for us. We've got to find a balance between those two. We, we've got to find a balance between nurture and admonition. And it's not, it's not the woman's job to nurture and the man's job to admonish, all right? Um, in fact, I think the nurturing and the admonishment should come from the mother and father. But fathers, we've got, if we're going to be Christ in the home, then we've got to set the standard. And we've got to learn not just to correct our ch children when, they're, when, they're, when they've done wrong, which is what admonishing is. We've got to nurture them in what they're doing right. Um, find reasons to, to praise them. Find opportunities to connect with them. Find opportunities to teach them. Show, show them 
what strength under control looks like because that's the kind of life that Jesus modeled. Nobody's stronger than Jesus, and he had that strength under control. And so model for your children what strength under control looks like. God is both holy and loving. So God is both a nurturer and an admonisher. And that's the role that we're supposed to take on in the home as, um, as good fathers of children who will obey and honor. Now, um, my dad did a good job at that. Um, my dad inherited a temper, and I inherited a temper, and Zeb inherited a temper, and Zeb's little boys inherited a temper, so we've, we've handed that down. My dad would sometimes just, he would, um, rather than sit down and talk to me about something, he would just come out very harshly. And uh, I'm just being transparent with you. When I was 13, 14 years old, I think every whipping I probably got as a 13, 14 year old was counterproductive to what my daddy was trying to do. And I'm, I'm not throwing off on my dad, but I was, I was approaching those years where I was making that transition from boyhood to manhood. And when my dad came out the way that he did, and, um, and, several, t and several times, um, in front of my friends, really um, embarrassed me. And uh, not that I didn't deserve what he did, um, but there would, there would have been a, there was a better way, I believe, for my dad to bring that admonition to me at that particular time in my life. And listen, we have to learn this as we go. I've learned it as I've went. I've, I've made some of the same mistakes with my boys. Um, and I've learned through the years that you know, I can make them do some things that I can't necessarily prove that, um, that they ought to do biblically. I can make them do some things just because I can. But do you know what that does to a child when you force them to do things that you can't prove are biblically right or biblically wrong? Um, you're, you're abusing authority over them that can provoke them to a place of anger, frustration, and discouragement. So, the fact that he closed with this word to, to, to daddies doesn't diminish the child's role in the home. It's God's command that a child is required to obey and honor. And so let me say this to you, to all of us, because we all got parents. Um, even if your parents are failing, you can honor God by honoring and obeying your parents. Um, I remember when we were teaching a teen group at Philadelphia, I had, we had one kid whose parents were very, um, they just lived a pretty wild lifestyle. And this kid was converted, and we picked him up on the bus, and um, he got fired up for Jesus, and um, he didn't like the fact that his parents drank and, and, and partied. And so he went home and told them one weekend he wasn't doing anything else they told him to do until they straightened their act up. <laughs> and uh, his parents called me and like, what are, you teaching? what are you teaching these kids? And I'm like, I ain't teaching Matt, I promise you. <laughs> so we had, to have, we had to sit down and have a talk. You know, I talked to that teenager, and I said, listen, you can't. I understand you're frustrated with your parents and the way that they're living your life, but that's not how you win them to Jesus. You win them, you win them to Jesus by, by giving them the honor and respect that their roles deserve, even though they may not be earning that from you right now. You give it because God said for you 
to give it to them. So, so when, when you want to find harmony in the home, that comes from children who obey and honor their parents, and it comes from daddies who bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's where harmony in the home comes from. So that last verse um, suggests to me that the Father sets the tone for the home by his words and by his actions and by his attitudes. The Father sets the tone for the home by his words, by his actions, and by his attitudes. And I, and I believe as daddies, um, we can foster harmony in the home or we can foster rebellion in the home in that we can make it easier or harder for our children to honor and obey us. Does that make sense? We can make it easier or harder for our children to obey us and honor us. Um, Some of you have heard me share this story. My pastor's wife had a a kidney transplant just before we moved here. Actually, we were driving back and forth from Folkestone. And um, she was still trying to cling to church or she was going into... um, her body was rejecting the kidney. Anyway, I stopped by my home church one day to pick up some books that I'd left there, and she was in the church hobbling around on a cane trying to clean up. And she set me down. Miss Linda was like a second mama to me. She set me down. She said, I knew that God had a calling in your life, and um, I hate that he's taking you away from here, um, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm grateful that you're surrendering to his call. But she said, I, I, want you to, I want you to sit down there, and I want to talk to you about some things. And so I sit on the front row of my home church, and she said, God's called you into ministry, but he's not calling you to sacrifice your family on the altar of that ministry. And she, and, and she just said, my husband has made our children jump through hoops through the years just because he was afraid of what other people might think about us. He wouldn't let his daughter cheer. Um, he wouldn't let them play sports. He wouldn't let them do certain things because he was worried about how perceptions might be he made them cut their hair a certain way and wear a certain style of clothes and she's like "Um, I'm not telling you how to raise your kids but she said I'm telling you that you can make them resentful of you if you're not careful by imposing things upon them that you can't prove biblically and she just she challenged me she said let your kids be kids and and if you can't find a good reason biblically to tell them no, don't tell them no. And, um, and, and I've tried through the years, not without, not without failures, but I've tried through the years to remember the words that she spoke to me. And, um, and I think I've had a good relationship for the most part with my, with my children. And, and I want to see them repeat that in the lives of their children. So dads, don't make it hard. If you want harmony in the home, it comes from children that obey and honor their parents, but it comes from dads that make it easy to do because they bring those kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As our, as our musicians come, let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your word. There's, there's so much instruction that it gives to us in the way that we're to live our lives. That's how we become disciples. That's how we become true followers of Christ when we take your word and apply it 
to every station of our lives, not just what we do here on Sunday mornings, but what we live out throughout the week as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, as children, as even as employers and employees. Um, Jesus, you change us, and you change us for the better all the way around. And I know that we all want those homes that are harmonious, um, that are full of the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. And I pray that you would help us to take heed into your word today. Be obedient to our parents and honor them. And help us as fathers to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have your will and your way in this time of invitation. And anything that you do, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.